Good morning, all. It's a pleasure to be here. Many thanks to Joan for the invitation. I am fresh off the rock, and so I'm particularly anointed this morning. I want to talk to you about Christian understandings of holiness. This is not Christians' understanding of holiness. This is Christians' understandings of holiness, old and new. I tell you why I want to do this. I came to this topic actually a couple of years ago before I was ever asked, and I thought if I ever do address Community Chapel, I think maybe I will do this. My sense is that the church is halfway now on a pendulum swing on the topic of holiness. For many, many evangelicals, holiness was a very rigid lifestyle, strongly enforced with loads and loads of guilt. But in the last few decades, we have gotten ourselves out of some of that. But my fear is that for many of you here who are students in particular, we managed to push you out of a very legalistic understanding of the faith, but have never really given you the tools to understand how to live holiness by grace, which is in many ways a much higher standard than holiness by the law. So that's where we want to go. We look at a variety of scriptures here. Leviticus, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Be holy because I am holy. Peter reflects on this saying, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. I want to leave this one with you. I want you to stare at it for a minute. Make every effort to be holy, for without holiness no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, we love to sing about this. If there's anything millennials love to do, you all love to sing. You love to sing contemporary worship. In fact, I'm afraid that for many of you, you have begun to worship worship. And holiness is one of these concepts we sing about, and we love to sing about God's presence, and God's presence will fill this place. You know what happens when God's presence fills this place normally? Everybody goes flat on their face as though they were dead. Because His holiness shows up. And in that moment, we realize what it is. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So this tells me that holiness, however you understand it, is a powerfully important concept. God. Holy, as you will know, many of you, comes from the Greek hagios in the, in the New Testament, which simply means to be set apart, holy, or sacred. The whole concept here, friends, is this, that as a follower of Christ, you have been already set apart. You have been placed to one side as it was. You have been pulled out of the kingdom of the world in one sense, and you have been prepared for God's use to then re-enter the kingdom of this world as salt and light. That's positional. That's already been done for you. You have been set apart. But in a greater sense, another sense, because you have been set apart, you now have to live as set-apart people. That is the rub. What does that mean? So I want to first ask this, what is freedom? Because if there's anything most of us value right now in this culture and context, it is that we are free. We are individuals. We're free to be our own person. Be who you want to be. Sure, even Burger King teaches, it, you, teaches us you can have it your way. 
I ain't seen a burger in my life ever come on my tray look like what they advertised. <laughs> Have a look at this verse. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You know what tells me? This tells me there are two parts to this. Christ has set you free indeed. Every one of us in this room has been set free by the Spirit of the Lord. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And every one of you who have accepted Christ has now the Spirit of God dwelling in you, which means you have been set free. But friends, hear me clearly. You have been set free for freedom. I imagine there are some of us in this room who have been set free but are not now living in freedom. But, make no mistake, Greg, boom. It is for freedom that you have been set free. Wouldn't it be tragic for you to go through your Christian life having been set free but never having lived in the freedom for which you were set free? So freedom is something we all want. I hear you all singing when you sing your songs, ditties, whatever you want to call them. Oh, I'm getting old already. I'm making fun of young people's worship. Dang, okay. I'll be singing by freedom, freedom in this place, uh, blah, 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 so on and so forth. We all want freedom. But what does it mean? Well, scripturally, you're free first from legalistic tradition. Paul says, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of you need to hear this this morning because you have spent your whole lives working to measure up to a standard that God has already freely and graciously given you. And when you come into a place like this, all you feel is condemnation because you are not able to measure up to that standard. Well, I have good news for you. You can't measure up to that standard. It's not possible. Even all the godly old people in your church who look so holy and all that type of business, they're as sinful as you are. They just act better. That's your problem, your generation. You haven't learned how to act in church yet. But you will learn. Keep going. <laughs> there is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Catch this. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. The law could never make us holy because our own sin nature is too weak. I don't know if you've noticed this in your own life, but you keep choosing to do bad stuff. And you keep failing to do the good stuff, right? I'm the same way. The sinful nature, the law is powerless to make us holy because it's so affected by the sinful nature. But God did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. If you hear nothing else this morning, some of you need to hear this. There is therefore now to you no condemnation because the law of the spirit of life has set you free. We have all kinds of uh, old legalistic traditions where I come from on the rock. We perfected some of these. If we were as good at everything as we were at legalism, we'd have saved the world by now and then had a little outpost on Mars. 
We did stuff like this. A woman must not wear men's clothing. Deuteronomy 22 and 5. I can remember this preached. Do you know why our men preached this? Because they never had to go to church in February with a skirt on. It wasn't their initial little legs that they were worried about. So we preached stuff like this. We preached externals. But then you see three verses later, when you build a new house, make a parapet around your roofs in case somebody falls off and breaks their neck. Ain't no houses in Newfoundland with parapets on them. They don't even know what they are. And that's only three verses time. Look at this in Deuteronomy 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not listen to them, they'll take hold of him, bring him to the elders of the gate, and the elders, the men of the town, will stone him to death. If we followed this, there'd be no young men in Newfoundland. <laughs> not one. Did we all beat to death? Don't laugh. Be hardly any of you here. <laughs> See, we pick and chose a lot. Legalism does that. And now we're moving out of that. And my question to you is this. Given that holiness, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And given it's not about whether or not women wear pants or have their hair in buns and this type of stuff, if it's not about that, then what is it about? That's what you need to ask yourselves. Second, apart from legalistic tradition, we have been set free from the bondage of sin. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Not only is there now no condemnation to you, friends, but you have been set free from having to be a slave to sin. You get to choose. You are not powerless against sin. And I'll tell you this, just because it's something you have done over and over and over again so that it is now a habit for you, you are still not powerless against the sin because he who lives in you has set you free from that law of sin and death. And Jesus said, if I set you free, you will be free indeed. So we're set free from bondage to sin. But I notice this. Today, many believers are acting like they are free to sin. Here's how this goes. We're finally starting to understand grace in the church and the idea that God extends His grace and forgiveness to us over and over and over again. So what we do is we commit the sin and we know we're committing the sin and we're about to commit the sin and we're being convicted by the Spirit about it and we say to ourselves, not a big deal. The grace of God will cover it. Paul dealt with some people just like this. They actually said, get the logic in this. If we sin... God brings grace. Grace is a good thing. We all want grace. The way to get more grace is to sin more. Paul says, you stun arses. That's in the Greek. <laughs> Got to know Greek real well. Dr. Reynolds won't say it there, but I see stuff like that there. <laughs> Don't be so dumb. He says, should we go on sinning that grace may increase? And by no means, of course not. Tell you what, friends, when we treat the grace of God like that, we treat it very cheaply. God's grace was given not for abuse, but to empower and then to enable us to live the holy lives to which we've been called. Not to judge, by the way, and not to condemn, because remember, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But it's because of the grace of God that we are absolutely now able, even though we fall 
and some of you need to hear this, though you fall a hundred times, the hundred and first time you get up again and say, by the grace of God, I will persevere. But not to abuse it. So before I leave this piece and go to the next one, I'm going to ask you this question. What does freedom really mean? If you've been set free, if where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, what does that mean? Is it a freedom to do? Because when I watch the church now, and I particularly watch the younger members of the church, which is now creeping into the older members of the church, it seems to me now like we are treating freedom like a freedom to do what we want. So I ask you this, is it a freedom to do or to be? <laughs> I'm not sure when we use the word freedom, we understand it well. Because you know what, in Western culture of which you are now a part, freedom often means you can do what you want. But I'm here to suggest to you that in the Scriptures, God sets you free to be who you're supposed to be. Not to do what you want. In fact, to put yourself to death. You are free to be whom he created you to be. That's why you've been set free. So freedom in Christ is not freedom to do whatever you want. In fact, Jesus says, you want to live, you need to die. That for prosperity preaching. You want to be first, you're going to be last. You want to be great? Serve people. Freedom in Christ is not about our rights. I hear this in the church all the time. Now, I have the right to do this, and I have the right to do that. You've got no rights in Jesus. None. I don't know if you know this or not. You do not have the right to the breath that's in your lungs right now. That's a gift of God. What you have, your health and your strength, and your, even your life, the breath in you is a gift of God to you, and it comes from grace. I hear Christians talking about their rights. I think, now, that's a little bit of the world having crept into the church there because we don't read about our rights in the Scriptures. We read about how can I sacrifice for you. Freedom in Christ, therefore, is freedom to become who He created us to be. It's freedom to be holy. So under the freedom provided by grace, what are the requirements for holiness? If it's not about law, what is it about? Well, the church in the past has been really good at the outward stuff. Where I come from, we perfected this. We, uh, you know, the outward uh, sins were smoking, drinking, dancing, divorce, gambling, in some cases smiling. <laughs> if it made you smile, it was pretty much a sin. Uh, things you had to do, the outward acts, uh, church attendance, certainly keeping Sunday holy. Men where I come from would shave Saturday night so they never had to shave on Sunday, would cook their dinner Saturday night so they wouldn't have to cook on Sunday. They wouldn't use scissors, the whole deal. Happy people they were. You had to pay your tithes and clothing choices that would make Queen Victoria envious. <laughs> I now am dressed in the proper colors of my tradition. We like very dark colors. Grays, lots of grays, dark navies and everything. And I, being the submissive soul that I am, I always <laughs> follow my tradition. You like them? 
So, what do you think about that? <laughs> so the Bible's all about internal attitudes, friends, where the church has often been about the external. Look at the stuff the Bible says the Lord hates. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and someone who stirs up dissension. Now think about dorm life. Boom, shaka-laka-laka, boom. Look at the things God loves. Therefore, as God's chosen people, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together. Do you see the difference? See, very often, we have focused on the external, looking right, acting right. The problem is, the external never gets into the internal. But God's focus is always on the internal because the internal always impacts the external. That's why God focuses on things like love and compassion and kindness. And you go to the fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Because these things, if rich in you, will impact everything else you do. Let me tell you something. If you're full of the fruit of the Spirit, it will impact how you spend your money which incidentally is not yours, is God's. And not 10% of it, 100% of it. God gives you resource, and then He asks you for so much back just to remind you that the whole lot of it is His. And some of you, with your calculators, can't calculate now your 10% for Jesus. Praise God. I used to count for one of the churches back in Newfoundland, and you see people writing out their tithes checks, $101.17. I said, bless God, they actually got out of a calculator. They didn't want to give Jesus not one extra cent. 17 cents, man, can't even rind it up to a quarter. So let me conclude with this for you. How do you determine how to live? Because here's what's going on, I think. I think we rant at you a fair bit, or the church doesn't say, you all need to be holy. We don't ever tell you how to do it. We don't even tell you much of what it is anymore. Well, some things are listed in Scripture as absolutes. That's not popular in this culture, but there are things listed in Scripture as sin for everybody at all times. And there are other things listed in Scripture that all believers must do at all times. And this passage is a wonderful example of it. Flee from sexual immorality is something commanded to all believers at all times and all places. It's an absolute. You ain't got to wonder about that. So if you're getting hot and heavy with that stud that you're going out with, all hotness, woo, that type of business, thanking Jesus for his creation, you are, yes, praise God, woo. <laughs> fineness, 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 yes. <laughs> if that's you, you haven't got to wonder about sexual immorality. See, you haven't got to pray a, lot, a, whole, about it, a whole lot about that because God tells you to avoid sexual immorality. Similarly, he also says in the same passage, you need to honor God with your body. That's a command. That's something that we are all to do at all times. So these things are fairly straightforward. Idolatry is the same thing. Hatred is in here. These types of things we know. They are absolutes. The problem is these, the gray areas. And this is where I think the rub is. I think most of us have figured out there are absolutes. We are to worship God only. We get that. 
We are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. I think we get that. You know what we don't get? How do we decide what music to listen to? How do we spend our money? What friendships do we engage in? What dating relationships do we engage in? Movies do we go see? Now, when I was growing up in Newfoundland, I was quite certain that in the King James, there was a scripture that said, all movies cometh from the devil. Because <laughs> they were sin. But then in grade nine, Billy Graham made one. And I was confused. <laughs> How could such a man of God so blatantly sin? <laughs> By making a movie. And then the church showed it. And I thought, clearly, the end times are here. <laughs> Ichabod, as it were. I'm still going to strangle myself. <laughs> Four questions, friends. I'll leave you with. Remember, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Every one of us in every day and every way are making decisions about holiness. Understand you have already been set free and you have been set free for freedom. Holiness is freedom. Holiness is freedom to be who you're created to be and not tangled up in the world. Well, you're going to have to involve the Holy Spirit. There's no other real way to do this. These, the writer of Ezekiel, looking ahead, prophesies that God is saying, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'm going to remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit in you to move you to keep my decrees. Every one of you right now in the sound of my voice has the Spirit of God living in you and it's a tremendous resource for you. So you go to the Holy Spirit when you're making a decision like this and you say, what should I do here? What should I do? And then you listen real careful. The problem we have, I tell classes this all the time in hearing the Holy Spirit's voice, is that we are so busy and we are into our XM and our satellite radio and we're into all of our social media and the Holy Spirit is still broadcasting on an AM dial. Which means it's going to take effort in your life to tune in, to listen, but it will be so worth it. You're going to need to know the principles of the Word. I give you a couple of here. Paul says, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. That verse alone will drastically impact your movie watching. You know how much old garbage we put in our minds from media because we're free? And then we wonder why our thought life sucks? Right? It's like making a rod to beat your own back with. God wants us set free from that stuff. We're going to have to consider the impact of our actions upon our witness in the community. You are not just about you. There are things you could do or not do in relationship to the community you're in, and wisdom will dictate sometimes, I am free to do this, but I won't, because it will cause misunderstandings. Similarity, similarly here, under grace, we have to consider the weaker Christian. Paul says everything is beneficial, permissible, but not everything is beneficial. No one should seek his own good but the good of others. In my role, there are things that I could do in my freedom in Christ that I don't do because I have far too many youth and young adults watching me who will misunderstand what I've done. 
So I have to voluntarily curtail my freedom for their good. That's holiness. Paul said, be careful that the exercise of your freedom doesn't become a stumbling block to the weak. That's part of what it means to be holy. So I leave you with these four questions. As you navigate how you spend your money, Jesus' money, as you navigate what to watch, as you navigate where to go and who to be in relationship with, ask these four questions. Holy Spirit, is this wrong for me to do? Not a hard question. Is this wrong for me to do? You may get a yes, in which case you need to stop. But you may get a no. That's okay for you. Then you need to ask another question, though. What are the principles of the Word that relate to this issue? So maybe you go, you're thinking about alcohol. This is a good example of this. And you say, is it okay for me to have a glass of wine with my meal or a beer when I go out with my friends? And you may feel in your spirit, you've asked, you may feel, yeah, that's okay. But then you have another question to ask. You have to say, what are the principles of the Word that relate to that decision? And the first thing you're going to run up into is the fact that drunkenness in God's eyes is a really bad idea because it makes most of us act like more of an idiot than we are. It brings out your inner idiot. And most of us do not need him brought out. But then you've got to ask a third question. By doing this, could I cause somebody who was weaker than me to stumble? And a fourth question. By doing this, could I damage my reputation in the community where you've placed me? See, it's more than just about us. Melinda and I have tried to live our lives by these four questions. Is this wrong for us? What does your word tell us about it? How is this going to impact others who are watching me? And how is this going to impact the greater community that we're a part of? And you know what? We've discovered there are many, many times when we have felt free that we could do things, but because of this grid we work through, we say it's not going to be worth it. I'm going to curtail my freedom for the sake of others. Therein endeth the lesson. I really wanted this morning, and I thank you for your attention, I really wanted to give you some sense of what holiness actually is. It's not all about the externals, friend. It's about the internals. And then these internals will impact us every day as we make decisions on how to live for Christ. And although we rant at you a lot and we push concepts on you, I want you to know that you have been set free for freedom. And the greatest freedom, hear me clearly, you will ever experience is to walk in holiness before the Lord, free of all the trappings. And that comes not just as the Spirit lives in you but as daily, you make good decisions on what to do with your time and your money and your heart. Amen. Stand with me if you would. I'm going to close in prayer and dismiss you. Although people are rushing the stage. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Amen. Father, for your presence in this place, we give you thanks. 
because you live in us who is the church. Now, O oh God, I pray that this word would go in and find good ground and bear much fruit. I pray, Lord, for those under condemnation this morning that you would set us free. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But, O oh God, I pray that every student in this place, every staff, every faculty member would be free to be who you've called us to be. I pray that the weight of sin and things that so easily entangle would fall off us. As every day we choose holiness to be set apart for you and your glory and your kingdom. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, folks. Go with God.